also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. I have a question for you. Yes. You're in a Canadian indie rock band in the mid 2000s. Uh, oh, I've been there. You're okay. Uh, I'm I'm the main person on this podcast who has that I, in I his personal history. <laughs> okay, I, I I was like like when I wasn't playing World of Warcraft in the early to mid 2000s, uh, I was absolutely in a celebrated Canadian indie rock band. That was like the main thing about me. Yeah, the but uh, no, go ahead with your hypothetical, Dan. I, were you in a band called the Big Creek Paddlers? Um, no, actually, uh, oddly enough, I was actually in the Brian Jonestown Massacre, uh, but we were Canadian. <laughs> Brian Jonestown Massacre, uh, CA. Yeah, I was in the Canadian, well, it was, we were a cover band of Dandy Warhol's songs, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, Anton Newcomb, please don't get mad at me. I love your music. Yeah. You're one of the few non-techno music I like. Agree. Uh, I mean, okay. Okay. Here's the question. So you're 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 in a Canadian indie rock band in the mid 2000s. You've been yeah. slugging yeah. it out on the regional tour circuit. You're amassing a following of loyal fans. You're getting press. How do you know that you have made it? I mean, I, I, I mean, okay. Look, I wouldn't say like a mall gig would be a way I would know I would have made it unless it was some kind of a record breaking mall. That's right. That's right. You you know you've made it when you're enjoying a nice plate of post soundcheck chicken tenders in uh, Ed's rec room. It's it's May of Ed the sock. It's yeah, Ed the socks rec room. It's May of 2004, and you're about to play the Winnipeg date on your tour with Arcade Fire. You know you've made it uh, because it takes you 25 minutes to walk from Ed's to a place outside where you can have a cigarette. It takes you 25 minutes because you are playing in the world's largest shopping center. And you know you've made it because the show is at the West Edmonton Mall. At this point, the world's biggest mall uh, is in pretty bad shape. There's been a roller coaster accident, dolphin deaths, uh, a bribery scandal that rocked the Alberta Conservative government. But uh, but you're playing in the mall, and you've and you've arrived. So today on Bottleman, we're going to chart the rise and fall of what was once a crown jewel in Canada's tourism industry, and to help us out mm-hmm. on this journey. We are joined by writer, journalist, and cinema enjoyer, Seamus, here I go, Malekif Zali. How did I do? Yeah, you did pretty okay. good. <laughs> uh, glad, glad to be on. How are you doing? Of course. Oh, I've been doing fantastic. Yeah. See, the, I remember the original episode plan we had was we were going to watch um, I mean, one, of, one of my sort of uh, uh, favorite movies of the genre, uh, Cube, uh, Cube 2 Hypercube, and, and Cube, Cube Zero. Zero with Seamus. Yeah. But um, but we we got distracted by the West Edmonton Mall, <laughs> which is in dire straits. That's right. Which is, I assume, the uh, rock band you were performing with, Dan. I was, uh, unfortunately, no. I was I was performing with Wolf Parade and Arcade Fire, uh, both. Uh, I was doing yeah. I was doing double duty. We were sharing a lot of members, and I remember not. I, I didn't realize that we were playing in the mall. Like I knew the name uh-huh. of the place we were playing, but uh. The load in, I I was like, oh, we're at the West Edmonton Mall, and I know this because, uh, you know, our shitty van is parked in the world's biggest parking lot. <laughs> wow, the world's biggest parking lot, and it's here in Canada. Yes, 
Oh, they're going to take us seriously in the States once we know that we've done the, a bigger mall than they ever could with a bigger parking lot to boot. Well, um, until about 2006 when we were surpassed. So, yeah. Yeah. Although, to me, I think surpassed by um, uh, uh, the same the same ownership, though. That's right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, just another story of making it big in Canada and then going to make it bigger in the States. Just in this case, it's um, a food court. <laughs> and a parking lot. A food court, a parking lot. Uh, but before we go into discussing the sort of the West Edmonton Mall, its history, its connections with Iran, all of this, um, I want to ask because I actually have trouble picturing this. How in the mall was the gig? Was it like in a concourse by a little thing that tells you where the Sears is? Like, what are we talking here? Okay, well, well, not unlike the film Cube. Uh... When you enter the mall, uh, uh-huh. space and your ability to locate yourself in in that space uh, sort of sort of sloughs off your mind. So mm-hmm. so it could have been that we were at the direct center of the mall. It could have been we were at one of the edges of the mall. Uh-huh. All I know is that every time I had to go out for a cigarette, which was frequently, uh, it took me about twenty five minutes to. Uh, to get to a place I could smoke, but you were just in the mo- in the bit of the mall that had people in it. Like there were p- there were shoppers, sort of being like, "Well, off to Claire's." Oh, I see what you mean. Like, no, that uh, yeah. Ed's is kind of a localized space within the space. So okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So it's now a bowling alley. Um, but it, but they <laughs> used to- <laughs> that's actually four bowling alleys because it's so big. But uh, <laughs> wow, it's so big. Yeah. Um. One of the biggest. So okay, so I'm I'm no longer picturing you guys just like standing beside like some benches in an information kiosk playing uh, indie rock music to uh, some bewildered shoppers. Just interested. Tra- I, I got upset because uh, that was Arcade Fire, like right after Funeral came out. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That was Inf- information. That was yeah. the funeral tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It included the West Edmonton Mall. Now. Uh, Dan, I'll sort of I'll I'll, I'll 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 tee you up this one. Okay. <laughs> why is the West Edmonton Mall interesting to talk about, and why are we talking to uh sort of famous uh, cineast and um and Iran watcher Seamus about it? Well, you can't talk about the West Edmonton Mall without talking about the family who who uh, dreamed it into existence, and and this is a family that has alternately been described as secretive, visionary. Scandal plagued, or uh, my favorite, mired in controversy, depending on uh, what point in their long timeline you you kind of focus in on. Uh, this family is the uh, Germazian family. No, indeed, and um, as as I understand it, right? You know, uh, this is this is something I, I pulled from uh, a little. Um, uh, you might say uh, uh, so one of the many articles that have been written about them, sort of, I think, despite their preference to not have themselves written about, um, is uh, this is the, the Alan Blaken, general manager of the Econo- Edmonton Economic Development Authority, um, then said about the Germazian family, uh, every city should be lucky enough to have a family like the Germazians. They're unorthodox, so they are resented. They move at a faster, more intense pace than Canadians are used to. That makes many of us uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, they turned their dreams into reality. They are incredible. And again, those dreams that have been turned into reality are, are um, 
uh, malls with roller coasters. And what if a mall was fucking huge? <laughs> basically, yeah. What if a mall? What if a mall had a shooting range and a ski hill? Mm-hmm. I'm tired of having to go to two different locations for my shooting range and my ski hill. I want to park once and then do and then do a biathlon. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into the family history here because it, it is pretty fascinating. Um, so the family patriarch Jacob Germazian is born in Azerbaijan in in 1902, and he moves his family to Tehran in the mid 1920s and starts this very successful carpet export business. And this business is so successful that the Germazian family apartment complex would host the Tehran conference in uh, November of 1943. Um, and at this point, I'm going to ask who wants who wants to explain to the listeners what the Tehran conference was and uh, what the importance of it is. See, I know, but I, I, I want to see I if Seamus knows. If I, if, <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I'm just, I'm just saying it's possible. Well, um, after the uh, the Anglo-Soviet invasion of Iran, um, which was conducted because they feared that uh, Hitler was going to ally with the sh- with the uh, with the then Shah, um, there was a decision made to hold a conference of that was attended by both FDR, Winston Churchill, and Joseph Stalin in the exact same place um, to uh, work on strategy. Um, uh, additionally, uh, I, I did not know this for the longest time, but my grandfather uh, was also at this conference. Um, only man I know of to have personally seen FDR, Stalin, and Winston Churchill with his own eyes. Um, a very, very, very strange uh, occurrence, um, but ultimately, obviously, quite pivotal. How did your grandfather... Got some great photos out of it. How did your grandfather end up at the Tehran conference? Uh, it is incredibly vague, but from what I understand, uh, he was involved in the two dev party uh, in some context. Um, and this, and as the two dev party was very prominent uh, in the 1940s before uh, the uh, the huge crackdown, obviously there there's some access here. So the Gramazians host this conference at their apartment complex. But then in the early 1950s, the family pulls up stakes and relocates to Montreal um, mm-hmm. for, and this is according to a McLean's magazine profile, uh, for, quote, reasons that they have declined to make public. So what was happening in Iran in the early 1950s? Not, not much. Who knows? <laughs> it's really unclear. Uh-huh. Could be anybody's um, guess. Know, uh, uh, there was uh, some kind of a... Uh, so there, I mean, as far as I'm aware, there was um, a, 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 democrat, a democratically elected head of state, and then um, uh, my history book just ends. So I assume that that's still <laughs> what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Mine just has a bunch of page. Uh, it just says page missing, scene missing. Um, yes, and then everyone decided to have a Shaw again. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So. So they settle in Montreal, and uh, but they but they eventually move to Edmonton, and and I'm just going to read from the McLean's article about their move to Edmonton um, from from Montreal. Uh, so it says Jacob quickly formed a rug importing company called the Germazian Brothers, building it into a 16 store chain operating mainly in the United States. Classic. Couldn't couldn't be bothered to operate in Canada, huh? <laughs> That's right. Had to come to Canada and then make it big in the U.S. every goddamn time. Yeah, just paying import fees on rugs made in Canada, shipped to the states, and sent back. So, um, 
By the early 1960s, his sons, who were in their 20s, decided that um, they were going to pivot to land development. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it paid off. So by the mid-1960s, the family acquired sizable property holdings in Edmonton, prompting them to uh, sell the carpet business and move to the western city from Montreal. In 67, they incorporated Gourmet's Developments Limited and then renamed it Triple Five Corporation, which is, which is the current name of the Gourmetian sort of umbrella corp. Um, they, they did this in 1973. And uh, they continued assembling suburban land and selling lots to home builders. And they'd been virtually unknown to the public for years. But in 1974, the brothers found themselves at the center of a political scandal. In Edmonton, um, a former city alderman, Alex Fallow, claimed that Raphael Gramazian had offered him forty thousand dollars as a gift for as a gift for voting in favor of a zoning offend, uh, amendment. So there was a lengthy judicial inquiry, but no one laid any charges. Um, well, and I, I I assume that you know there won't be any more things more or less exactly like what you just said <laughs> in the story of uh the Gramazians continuing to um you know exist as a uh, uh I'm gonna say force in uh local and indeed national and it, and in some cases American politics. Yeah, no. Nope, that's the last brush with scandal that family will ever experience. This this will not become an eerie portent of things to come. Um Nope, it's clear sailing from here. Uh, following the laws and uh, and and everything sort of on the up and up. It's on the straight and narrow. Um, Absolutely, Edmonton city on the grow. <laughs> so so by the eighties, um, developers were abandoning Alberta because the the economy was in the toilet. Uh, but Triple Five kept opening uh, opening rental housing units, growing. They opened office buildings and shopping centers. And by the early 80s, the company's Alberta land holdings were believed to be totaled more than uh, 15,000 acres. And this point in time, this brings us to a really interesting point in the financial development of Triple Five, the Gramazian's company, and, and how they managed to fund uh, the West Edmonton Mall. So, Which, again, we have to emphasize here, the, big, the world record holder for biggest mall, unimaginably I- huge. I, I did want to ask about this because I had asked Dan about this earlier and I, I didn't get an effective answer. Sorry, Dan. Why is Edmonton in particular? Because I have friends who live in Edmonton. Edmonton does not strike me as a city that necessitates for itself one of the world's largest malls. Dubai seems like it necessitates right. that through everything that is uh, inherent to its being. Why Edmonton specifically? That's a good question. I mean, I think maybe, uh, maybe the Gramazians were were made aware of this um, sort of cheap land deal that the Alberta government had going, and then decided, you know, okay, we're going to invest all the carpet money into into the land deal. We're gonna we're gonna move there, build a compound, and then once they were there, they figured, well, I kind of feel like it was a if we build it, they will come type type scenario. Hmm. Well, it was suppo- always supposed to... And the thing is, right, it's not even close to the largest mall in the world. It's just the largest mall in North America. Um, but, like, it is... It, 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 until 2004, it was the largest in the world. But it was very... It was always a tourist attraction. But it, it seems very strange that, like, a tourist attraction also includes, like, a Bell Canada shop. Mm-hmm. Like, that's odd to me. 
Like what people are coming all over the world to walk around like a, a mall that just has like one of every phone, the two of every phone store. It's got a what? What is that doing? It's got an East Side Mario's and like a, a Jungle Gym's eatery, you know, and they're like yeah. right next to each other. It has it has a Boston pizza and it also has a Swiss chalet. A, 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 a veritable smorgasbord of delights. No fewer than four food courts. And so it, it's, I mean, it's almost weird to me that like, it is almost strange to me that it still exists because something like Biggest Mall seems like a concept that almost seems outdated as of the 1990s. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, Very odd. And yeah, but, we'll get into it later, but mall mall culture has kind of, the center of mall culture, I feel like, has been has been shifted away from North America. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the idea of going and hanging out in the because the idea of going and hanging out in the mall was something that you did when you were living in caveman times before phones. Um, and now it seems it very much seems like mall culture is something that happens in, for example, countries where uh, six months out of the year it's kind of too hot to not be in air conditioning. Yeah, I mean, some of the biggest malls that have been recently built, I mean, they're in places like, you know, Thailand or uh, or China, but also there are malls that are bigger than the West Manhattan Mall in Iran right now that were built within uh, the last couple of years. Um, the Esfahan City Center, uh, I want to say uh, there's one called the Iran Mall in Tehran, which opened, I think, last year. Um, I, I want to say West Edmonton is now at this point in like... The thirtieth biggest, twenty fifth biggest, twenty yeah. third. Yeah, it's in the yeah twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the mall. You know, mall culture kind of popped up in in a lot of post Soviet Eastern Bloc countries too. Uh, I'm I'm thinking specifically of some giant malls I've been to in Romania, like the the giant Consum Mall that's in Bucharest. And- <laughs> <laughs> Literally called Consum, named after the meme. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, so the funding of the mall, this is interesting. Given, given the secrecy of the family, um, there's only one source on this, on this piece of information. And it's, it's uh, Peter C. Newman, who is a Canadian journalist who devoted a lot of his life to, I'd say, you know, tr- identifying and tracking the rise of Canada's elite. Um, and in his third book on this subject from 1996... Um, he's talking about Triple Five Corps, and he says their flagship Triple Five Corps was formed with the backing of 551 silent partners, Iranians who needed a secret conduit to reinvest their wealth in order to avoid, er, avoid Iran's notoriously capricious habit of retroactive taxation. And all of this is happening in the late 1970s, which is an auspicious time for large amounts of capital to be leaving Iran. No, I mean, at this time, I mean, there were billions of dollars. Um, exiting the country. Uh, I think even with uh, the Empress uh, alone, um, I think she took out a, a personal art collection of about like 1.3 billion, I think was the figure that was attached to it. Um, there was obviously a, a certain sense of uh, impending doom, uh, if there was anything. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the things that we sort of know, right, just for even from just looking at the way that sort of the economy has developed in the last 10 years even, is that large sums of investable assets require an asset to be invested in. Like you can't just keep a billion dollars in a bank account. It doesn't 
make sense. It doesn't really work that way. It has to go somewhere and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, obviously, there's sort of nothing on the public record that says this was the case. Uh, it's not sort of provable. Um, you know, it's you can sort of you can kind of see uh, the logic that um, uh, 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 what is his name Newman was uh, was using, right? Yeah. Which is that, like, it, it because like, if you think about like if you think the the one of the reasons that you know like like the Gulf, for example, is the ways that it is, is that an enormous amount of investable capital was just washing around in it, right? And much of that money then gets deposited back in like European branches of American banks and then loaned to developing countries at sort of exorbitant rates of interest and so on and so on. Um, but if you're just trying to get money out of a country, uh, that it needs to go somewhere. And I mean, like we talked about in one of the episodes about mining, right, is that, you know, one of the ways that this happens sort of as like colonial wealth pulls out of uh, colonies and sort of doesn't want to get repatriated to metropoles is it gets stashed in Cayman Islands banks and so on. But this is sort of bigger. Yeah. You know, this is, this is of an enormous scale. And it's also, I think, instructive here to remember that um, the world's tallest skyscrapers are always built as inequality is increasing and the economy is more fragile. Well, what is the what, right? are, These, what is the theory? Is it Alice's theory that uh, yes, yeah, that that w- uh, once the world's tallest building is announced, uh, then the world is uh, inexorably headed for another financial collapse. <laughs> yeah, because that what, what that really means is that is that is that money is stupid, that money is being dumb. And so nothing makes money dumb like desperation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Newman also uh, in his book alleges that part of uh, a, a group of these 551 silent partners attempted to invest or, or just like dump this capital into West Germany. And the West German government refused. They were just like, we don't want this. Um, mm-hmm. So his theory is that the, is that the Germazians came in and, uh, and took it. Mm-hmm. You know? They accepted. Indeed. Um, and again, I think it's important to know, right? Like, this is, this, is what, this is what he has said. We don't have any independent verification of it. Yeah, this is all uh, alleged. Yeah. yeah. Um, Indeed. So the West Edmonton Mall opens in, in 1981 to... Uh, too much fanfare in Canada. It's mm-hmm. it's big, but it's it's not yet the biggest. Um, it's a mall, not yet the biggest mall in the world. Um, it goes through two expansion phases, and finally, in 1985, it becomes the largest shopping center on the planet. And I'm going to go over some of the numbers here for you guys. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a total area of of 490,000 square meters, or uh, 500 of uh, Five million three hundred thousand square feet. Um, it's home to eight hundred stores, nine attractions, a hundred dining establishments, uh, including Tony Roma's and uh, the very poorly rated Jungle Jim's Eatery. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, the mall features uh, Galaxyland indoor theme park, which was originally called Fantasyland until a lawsuit from Disney forced them to change the name. <laughs> Do they own a copyright on the name Fantasy? I guess so. I, I don't know. They so it was originally called Fantasyland, and then there was a massive lawsuit from the Disney Corporation, and uh, and and they quickly changed the name to Galaxyland. And I guess um, 
it, Fantasyland in the West Edmonton Mall was kind of a sort of a late 19th century European village looking thing, and they just retconned it so like they they redid it so it's now science fiction themed. Mm. And also, by the one thing, things to important to point out about like the early days of the West Edmonton Mall is that kind of nobody in Edmonton understood what was being built on the outskirts of Edmonton. Yes. yes. Right. Where um, a, a report and an, even even then, like an 80, a 1987 uh, report by the city of Edmonton um, uh, says that the mall was just considered another suburban shopping center. Right. It's uh, it's just. It's just it's a normal shopping center, but it actually reduced um, uh, the sort of revenue going into the downtown core of Edmonton by eight <laughs> percent. Like it, it, it materially contributed to hollowing out like foot traffic in the downtown core, replacing it instead with just a big mall with a water park. Yeah, a water park, uh, a hockey rink, a shooting range, a scale replica of the Santa Maria where you could rent one of the decks and hold a party. (laughs) 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 Wait, wait, scale, scale, in in what sense? How big is the Santa Maria, the replica? Is it as big as the Santa Maria? I'm assuming it's like slightly smaller than the Santa Maria. But I saw, I, I was okay. looking at pictures of it and it's fucking enormous. It's pretty it's pretty big. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me let me look let me look at an image of this quickly. Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> Whoa! Why on earth? Yeah, it, it's a bit it's it's a bit small, but Jesus! Why is they built an entire pool in the middle of this mall just for this ship? Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who? That's the thing. Like, who art directed this? I it's got to be part it's got to be the Gervaisian clan, right? Like yeah. they Well cuz like all, all of the descriptions of how the Gervaisians do business is that like the four of them have an interconnected office and are always jumping in on one another's phone calls. Like they all like they all all of the articles about them say that they each have their own fiefdoms, but they clearly all have massive input on everything. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like such wild maximalism <laughs> has been sort of taken place here. Like, what if we have a scale replica of the Santa Maria, the most American thing possible, as American as apple pie here in Edmonton? Imagine you are the project manager on this, and you're listening to one of the brothers tell you about his fucking crackpot idea to have like a scale replica of the Santa Maria in the middle of a pool. And then halfway through that conversation, another one of the brothers busts in on the other line and says, I need to tell you about my idea. We need the Santa Maria a scale replica in a pool. And like, <laughs> like I, and all the while you're trying to design Jubilations, a dinner theater that offers an original Canadian three act musical and a four course meal. <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait. So the the same musical every single night? No, I think it's di- it's like a, multiple times per I day. I think it's multiple showings a day. But I, when I was doing research on this and I read about Jubilations, uh, ex- like I. Broke my mind, like the idea of sitting there watching Canadian three act musical comedy and eating a, in a mall in a mall and eating a four course mall meal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, it is, it's the pinnacle of Edmonton <laughs> mall dinner theater. <laughs> 
I mean, to be fair, it'd be very funny if that's where the that's where the um uh, well, Ukrainian nationalists took that NDP uh, MP <laughs> to go like watch a yeah. musical about like you know the return of Galicia. Yeah, totally. It's oh my god. Uh, there are there are multiple different original plays that they do. They're, Buddy Holly's happy. They're doing Footloose at the Jubilations. Oh my god! Yeah, it, look, all of these look terrible. It's, it's either oh. publicly funded arts venues or it's uh, the Big Dumb Mall. Look, uh, it's one of the oh two my. things. Hey, I don't want to brag, um, and I know we just met, but uh, I am kind of a big deal. I'm the choreog- main choreography director for Jubilations. I can get you into the mall anytime you want, even after hours. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ever you ever see the West Edmonton Mall empty? It's the it is it is one of the great human experiences of majesty. What if we kissed under it's the scale terror. replica of the Santa Maria? It's just it's just the, the Jurassic Park music, like oh my god, son of a bitch, you did it. <laughs> um, oh man, what a stupid what a stupid thing to have. As a thing, so why do we have to have so many of the world's biggest things? There's an un- per capita, Canada has too many of the world's biggest things. It's stupid and embarrassing. Yeah. Um. I. Oh my God. I'm so. I'm so. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Oh, please. I, I just found out they did. They. There's apparently a show that they did in 2014 was a ripoff of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> um, called Pirates Three. Um. And additionally, it appears to be the same. I cross-checked this. It appears to be the same logo of the Pirates of the Caribbean porn parody, also called Pirates. Oh no! I'm I'm definitely concerned that they just tore it from Google Images. They, you know what? I bet they were like, "What are the odds of uh, Vivid Video suing us versus the odds of Disney suing us?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of. This reminds me a little bit of um so I went to China in 2000 and 12 or 13 I think summer 2012 I went to China and huh. one of the things I did in China was I went hiking in uh Zhangzijia National Park which is in Hunan and um in in this national park there are these sort of absolutely breathtaking like pillar shaped mountains um, like sort of the columns, but they're sort of covered in trees. They're very high, yeah. And it's it's one of the most beautiful places in, I've ever been. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. But because there was like a vague association with the film Avatar, Uh-oh. um, and it was said that like James Cameron was inspired by Zhang Zijia to like make the sort of soaring mountains of Pandora, um, the entire national park had just decided. That it was the Avatar National Park of China. Oh boy! Um, and so they just had like, I don't know, like dozens and dozens of dozens of like knockoff, not quite Navi, just around. <laughs> and it was, and there was a lot of like, you know, like I don't know, like um, uh, uh, billboards and so on around where it's like. This was a Google image searched image that has been put onto a billboard. Um, and I'm reminded of that, basically, of the uh, Jubilations uh, 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 playbill, yes. effectively. Yes. You know, actually, d- oh, during, that, during the time you were in that national park, I was also in China. I was in Tianjin um, and I played a show there in this, like, a scale replica Europe, European village, basically. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I but it was really cool because it was essentially like a uh, a replica of the old Bund, like the old sort of colonial holdings. Yeah, but in you know, and it, it was just filled with delicious uh, Chinese restaurants and uh, places to play punk rock. So hmm. yeah, it was not bad. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, good. Uh, chi- u- Chinese good use of scale replica uh, technology. Yeah. In China, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 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 Chinese Chinese um, replica of a European village filled with delicious food. Uh, thumbs up. Yes. Uh, scale replica of the Santa Maria uh, with a uh, ripoff of the porn ripoff of Pirates of the Caribbean playing on it. Thumbs down. Big thumbs down. Um, yeah. big, big old thumbs down. You know, replicas. I want to. I want to just talk a little bit about some of the world's biggest things that Canada has. I'm just going to list a couple of them. This is not a complete list, so I just I just pulled out the ones that were interesting. But so we have the world's biggest nickel in Sudbury. Wait, the world's biggest like nickel is like a like a five cent coin. Yeah, in in Sudbury. Um, is it is it worth five cents? I'm not sure what it's worth. It's legal tender or something? It's I don't think it's, it's entirely a strange thing nickel. to have. Uh, we have the world's biggest fiddle. Uh, the world's biggest dinosaur, apple. Uh-huh. Uh, here in Montreal, we have the world's biggest orange. Um, Wait, how? Is it just preserved? It's well. Okay, are are these constructed or are these actual like genetic anomalies? No, no, they're con- they're, they're, cons- they're constructed. These are. Uh, Wait, so you have the world's okay, biggest okay. fake orange. Yeah. Yep. God, what an embarrassing country this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, the orange, the orange is home to like a cask crew, which is basically like a burger and fries joint. Where you can get like a delicious milkshake and a hamburger. So I'm. But, oh, but that's nice. Thumbs up to the but big it, orange. It's so no, you no 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 no. Sorry, Canada doesn't have the world's <laughs> biggest orange. Canada just has a restaurant with an unusual building. Okay, can look. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. How many? How many other restaurants can you think of that probably have a claim to the world's biggest orange? Like I don't think it's. I think it's a very yeah, short. I list. think the number is zero. So. Uh-huh. Um, well, fair enough. Like that. Mont- uh, uh, cheers of the week to Montreal for your big orange. <laughs> so we, um, I mean, we also have uh, the world's biggest reproduction of Van Gogh's sunflowers, which is maybe the lamest one on this list. <laughs> and and we have and we because of our Ukrainian uh, uh, Ukrainian diaspora, we have the world's biggest pierogi. Um, uh huh. Yeah. But why? And the pierogi, what is the pierogi about- is wearing an SS helmet. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about the Canadian psyche that because le- I I think like if Americans had the world's biggest mall they would be like well yeah of course we have the world's biggest mall and then you know they'd sort of at some point I don't know like the Saudis I, I think that the, in the American like some like uh, psyche it's like well yeah well then the Saudis are obviously going to build a bigger mall um, but that they would sort of be happy with having the world's biggest mall like it wouldn't be remarkable. It feels somehow remarkable that the biggest mall in North America is Canadian. It feels not right somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels... It doesn't make sense to me. It feels out of place. There's probably some psychology about it, about trying to ape the successes. Not, not Successes is probably the wrong word, but just kind of like the economic uh, successes in the model um, that exists in America. But... I, I, I hate to uh, adapt something that Stephen Fry says because it, it sounds incredibly Reddit to do so. No, please go um, ahead. But like, if you, if you say something like "only in America," you kind of think of something uh, bold and brash and um, 
something stupendous, something extraordinary, not necessarily good, but something kind of larger than itself. Um, but when you say the phrase, maybe like only in Canada, um, I think maybe different phrases uh, come to mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it, but also like when you think about it, really, the world's biggest mall, the implication, because the stores aren't necessarily bigger. And also like, what is so thrilling about just like, I don't know, um, uh, 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 a Sears that has like more lawnmowers. Like I've never seen a Sears with such a big homewares section. Well, I th- Insane. I, they have the whole range. I think I think the thrilling thing about that Sears is its proximity to um the the like Pirates 3 um non-porn parody dinner theater. <laughs> <laughs> or or its proximity to the scale model, model of the Santa Maria, you know. I mean, it, it, the, the, for me, the whole thing just seems like a beast out of time, right? Like, why? why like the the whole idea of like shopping, I guess. Like, like, yeah, shopping is a pastime, but it's like it feels like an appropriate pastime for the '90s when sort of credit credit is everywhere, and your sort of sort of history is done, and you're just sort of trying to like distract yourself as you grow older, um, and the idea of like going and buying a new phone contract and also uh, going on a, a, an unsafe roller coaster yeah. and then you know doing watching some like regional dinner theater kind of all without having to make separate car journeys feels just like something that would be exciting in the 90s it, i don't understand sort of how it still exists i guess i mean i understand like financially how it still exists cuz i've like looked into it but i don't get i don't get as a as a thing that is around, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like it's like what, looking at a four sided triangle. I don't, I don't, I can't process it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of the equivalent of like a malt shop or something like that. Just <laughs> yeah, it, it's fake. It seems fake. Like it seems it seems Potemkin, but the whole thing is just there, being like actually like lived in and shopped because its financials in 2019 were like according to Moody's, kind of fine. Which is also just, I don't, I can't wrap my head around, I guess. Well, I think it's also become like a huge destination, um, a destination place for people who maybe live in Alberta and uh, yeah. can't afford to go on vacation. So what, what is there to do? You know, you go to the, yeah, we- there's the mall, you go to the West Edmonton mall. I mean, yeah, we're gonna- I, I, I am assuming, I'm not just basing this on the plot of Fubar 2, but I'm assuming, uh, there's some truth to it that that you know when the oil boom happened in Alberta, you've got people working in the tar sands, working two weeks on, one week off. That one week off, you're flush with cash. Where are you going to spend it? If you're not into spending it on, uh, you know, imported cocaine in uh, Fort McMurray, you're going to go to the West Edmonton Mall and buy something stupid. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go get a you're going to go get a lawn chair with a vibrating beer holder so that it's always frothy. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know the, the the project itself was kind of flawed from the start. Uh, I th- I think like just in in terms of vibe and and definitely in terms of safety because like the first real blow to the West Edmonton Mall brand came with the horrific. Oh no, not a blow to the West Edmonton Mall brand. No, no. <laughs> it, literally the one thing we didn't want to happen. Yeah. 
<laughs> it came with the uh, horrific Mindbender indoor roller coaster accident. The roller coaster is named the. Mo- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so sorry if what you're about to say is actually it's, heartbreaking. That is, I mean, it's pretty brutal, but it's also it's kind of hard not to laugh at it. Uh, the mind okay. the Mindbender is still currently uh, the world's largest indoor triple ro- loop roller coaster. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm sure <laughs> that every. Rankings? I'm sure that every Canadian who works in roller coaster design, when they go to the roller coaster design conference in America, says, "You know, the world's largest triple loop roller coaster is can- Canadian, actually." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, on the evening of June fourteenth, nineteen eighty six, the fourth car of a train traveling midway along the course derailed before entering the third and final loop. Uh, the wheel assembly was detached, um, the bar restraints unlocked, and threw four passengers to the concrete floor below. Uh, Jesus. The, the train moved in along the final track in, into the final loop, but the friction from the derailment slowed it and prevented it from clearing the loop. Uh, as it rolled backwards down, the detached car crashed into a concrete pillar and stopped the train. Um Three of those people died. Uh, the fourth was critically injured. And an investigation later determined that cap screws holding the wheel assembly together had failed, which were li- likely the result of design flaws, but also unsatisfactory maintenance routines. Um, mm. So, yeah. Tra- li- yeah, well, like tragic, uh, tragic roller coaster accident. Not a great way to kick off. Yeah. Tragic mall roller coaster accident claims three lives due to uh, easily avoidable mistake. Yeah, yeah. It seems due due to um due to boobery. Yes, effectively. And and that um and that's like that's not all. You know, it's like there are repeated. uh, There's an aquarium there, and there are repeated dolphin deaths. Uh, again, due to maintenance issues, and at some point, um someone ends up uh, dead in the lagoon. I think from, I, I think they basically uh, fell in the lagoon after drinking after the bar closed. So mm-hmm. <laughs> again, but, that, but is, isn't that just like, that is just, if, if you, I feel like this is, this is something where if you wanted to do like, I don't know, a heavy handed satire in the 1990s that sort of is written about favorably, but it is sort of quickly forgotten. You would be like, Oh, there's this gigantic mall, and it's everyone loves it, but actually, it's quite fatal to most of the people involved because of you know consumerism or whatever. Yeah, like that's sort of what you would end up writing. It's also pretty, it's pretty right. close to itchy and scratchy land, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it again, it's just this. Um, I mean, it's it's it is it is not it is not a metaphor for what sort of Canada was and is through the 1990s and 2000s. It's just it literally is what Canada was and, and is from the 1990s and 2000s, which is just this sort of quite sort of big, very showy, um, uh, uh, almost insecure, a uh, big, big out of almost insecurity uh, attraction um, is sort of you might say up murky at best uh, financial origins. That results in you know sort of uh, death and suffering because uh, no one really cares. Uh, and again, I don't mean like the workers don't care, but like you know, at someone, someone somewhere in the sort of probably towering heights of the organization 
is just like, yeah, we have the world's biggest roller coaster. What do you want me to do? Send a maintenance guy? Yeah. Come on, we need to use that money to build the uh the 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 Nina and the and the Pinta to go with the Santa Maria that we have to have in the mall because, you know, we must make but the spectacle must get bigger and bigger and more elaborate and more distracting because that's the only thing really that's left to do. Is just uh, we're going to do more crossovers <laughs> and and more scale models and uh, you know what what if we had a store uh, that simulated an earthquake when you bought something yeah. you know just there's just a wait child's is that an actual thing that dream. is in the I I have to ask is that an actual thing that exists in the West Edmonton Mall uh, not yet but you know give it time yep okay I'm sorry like the, usually if someone said that to me I think no it's not real but after seeing the 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 Pinta and the the Santa Maria. I I I I, I believe anything. They point. had at some point you run out of things to they do. They had submarines in the lagoon. Like that's <laughs> yeah. See, see, I'm not I'm not totally off. I don't sound like an idiot asking uh, if this is a real thing or not. I I think really when I think about the West Edmonton, like I've I've said earlier, right. Um, in, in previous episodes of this show that like yeah, history did kind of end in Canada. The last man lives in Sudbury. Um, Under the shadow is, of the giant nickel. <laughs> the la- last man crushed by giant nickel. Politics is back. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, it's the the world's biggest mall with all of these sort of fripperies and distractions in it. That basically is kind of what Francis Fukuyama thought the world was going to be increasingly like. Like, that's what the end of history in The Last Man was about, is his, you know, often uh, repeatedly referenced as, you know, uh, the wrongest you could be. But, like, that's what he thought the world was going to be. And that's kind of who the West Edmonton Mall was built for. The roller coaster accident was Kosovo. (laughs) But if you and and again, like, uh, you know, if in, in terms of, you know, asking yourself, well, how is it? How did it really emerge? Like, what was it connected to? And so on. And even the sort of as its story sort of goes on, you're like, yeah, well, this was as much of a fiction as the as the end of history itself was, you know, because the whole thing, the West Edmonton Mall from its inception was sort of deeply um, immersed in the politics sort of of the world of Canada uh, of 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 Alberta of Edmonton specifically. Like, there are all of these tendrils that sort of connect it. Um. And, you know, like any uh, mega project, right, it involved an enormous, it involved enormous, an enormous amount of politics. And there were sort of allegations uh, that sort of swirled around in the 1990s. Importantly, none of them were ever proven. But it's worth talking about them if you want to know the history of the place. Because um, it was been at the, the center of financial scandals for much of its early life. Um, and uh, so, for example, right. Um, through a, a lot of the uh, construction of the West Edmonton Mall, especially in its sort of second phases throughout the 80s, was paid for uh, through tax concessions uh, from uh, Alberta. So, for example, a Canada fantasy land uh, with its quadruple looping roller coaster uh, was built um, after they after Triple Five received $20 million in tax concessions over 10 years. Um because they were able to be like, yeah, they, because they formed a nonprofit organization uh, that would operate both the mall's existing fantasy land and then the larger fantasy land that they were going to build onto it. Um, and that the profits would be given to local charities. But that's basically all, all anyone knew. And it got basically no scrutiny at all uh, because it was just, there was just this idea of big mall good, 
bigger mall better. Charity. Uh, otherwise, joke. the Soviets will build a bigger mall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, uh, there is a mall <laughs> gap. So- uh, the the G U M store in Red Square is uh, is going to eclipse. <laughs> And there's not there's not just a McDonald's in Red Square. There's a Burger King, a Taco Bell, a New York Fries. That's right. <laughs> um, right. So uh, he was basically like he uh, the the mayor of Edmonton at the time said that the Germazians provided less documentation supporting their proposal than a group of Boy Scouts asking for a thousand dollars. Right. So like there was they were just like yeah, give us a tax concession. We promise. That, so we can build a th- a bigger theme park in our big mall, uh, and we'll we promise to give some money to charity, just sort of expecting that to be granted to them. And the Gervasians were but basically all- like, uh, trust us." Yeah, come on. Uh, so the other, but the big thing, right? That was a little. It, it, that's a little. It's not even a scandal, right? Because like they're constantly getting in their American projects, they get tax concessions, and that's the thing, right? Sort of prefiguring one of the main points of this. Which is that if you look into any sort of dynastic real estate family, you'll basically find a story that probably rhymes with this, which is that the real business of real estate is in convincing whatever political entity you have to convince that could possibly tax you to not do it and to convince them that you as sort of... um owning and excluding others from this land so you can do some dumb shit with it is going to be an irreplaceable asset to the local community, right? That is the basics of it. Any, any real estate developing family, uh, you will find a similar story. So the big thing though, right, was in the recession, in the little baby recession in the 1990s, um, put them all into some trouble. And like sort of, again, most real estate projects, it was heavily debt financed. Um, and... Uh, it was sort of losing a lot of value throughout the 1990s. The family owed about 460 million, um, quite a bit of it to one sort of mortgage provider called Gentra, um, and then uh, also a bunch, a bunch more money to uh, the uh, Alberta Treasury branches, which was like a publicly owned now Crown Corporation, like credit union savings and loan in Alberta, which was sort of again sort of a a uh, sort of holdover of the Dust Bowl era when farmers just like needed credit so they wouldn't, you know, stop being farmers. Yeah, it was originally um, set up to help a agribusiness, basically. Yeah. And so basically, right, is that uh, the the brothers sort of, the, the, the family who owned it, the Kermazians, they stopped like, they were stopped being able to pay the tax, the property taxes owned in the mall. They stopped being able to like make improvements on the mall. Uh, the the food, the the Nino, the, the Santa Maria was getting very threadbare. They had been running the same show at Jubilations for months and months and months. Uh, no, um, and so what happened is again, allegedly again, like this is this was settled in a lawsuit in the early two thousands. The details of which, surprise, surprise, are not public, but. The uh, what basically the um, the lawsuit alleges is that the Gramazians then appealed to Ralph Klein, who was in charge of Alberta at the time, um, and, as the premier. And so the, the court case basically says that um, they appealed to uh, to Klein to put pressure on Alberta Treasury branches to basically give them an insanely commercially non-viable uh, credit line. Where the pro, where basically the province of Alberta 
via this thing that's now Crown Corporation uh, would guarantee all of their loans uh, from a uh, 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 TD Bank uh, that would um, uh, refinance them all entirely, and that would even um, pay off Nader Gamazian's mortgage Fuck. personally <laughs> on his house. Hey, hey, if it's worth making it work for him, like I, 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 I see almost, no objections. I almost like sort of you know how sort of how brazen they are alleged to have been. I kind of admire it. Yeah. Um. And. So all of these allegations were made by uh, one Mr. Leahy, uh, <laughs> uh, name name of Elmer Leahy, but uh, his friends on the Baldwin podcast call him Jim Leahy. Simple trailer park um, owner. Uh. Yeah. So, so um, Jim Leahy alleges that uh, <laughs> alleges that the shit winds were blowing, um, and basically, the, yeah, that there was this. A sweetheart deal to refinance them all. This real, like, again, bizarre, insane, overgenerous deal to refinance them all that kept it alive while it was becoming quite threadbare. Um, and that, uh, uh, that this sort of involved, like, the brothers handing Mr. Leahy, like, shopping bags full of cash. Yes. Uh, just, yeah. I love, I love any good Canadian uh, real estate story, whether it's SNC Lavalin or this. It involves shopping bags full of cash. That's right. Um, That's right. Milk isn't the only thing we put in a bag here. Yeah, absolutely. Bags for cash, bags for milk. Um, so essentially, right? That um, this is this is this is what they've got, and and some of the actual maths of this, basically, that they like uh, Al- the pro- like Alberta guaranteed the full repayment of their mortgage against TD Bank plus all fees, interest, everything by two thousand four. Which it would otherwise have taken the mall and the Gramazians acting alone a uh, hundred and ninety years to repay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And right, no issues. <clears throat> and so what? What really happened? What? What? Not what really happened? Because we don't know what really happened. But basically, the sort of the culmination of the story, right, is that the that this was the result of the Gramazians asking um, uh, Klein be like hey we got a problem and then klein uh issuing a memo saying let's find the gamazians in alberta solution uh <laughs> which is uh which is again a, a, it is an alberta solution to like just shovel a bunch of public money into a into a private organization uh to maintain its uh financial stability as opposed to you know doing something useful because what would what would alberta do without jubilations dinner theater yeah, exactly this is the um this is a great example of the singular sort of uh canadian style of uh state socialism welded to capitalism at work <laughs> <laughs> um so after this right this is this this get this lawsuit gets settled in 2002 and i actually that none of the details of the settlement are public um, I am trying to find still, and if I do find it, we will talk about it on a later episode. Um, the quarterly report from ATB in 2000, the fourth quarter report from ATB in 2002, because that will show if they have like, um, an outstanding one-off payment basically. And it will tell you in which direction, uh, that lawsuit went, like kind of who paid who, um, but uh, 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 so, but we don't know sort of where it went. Um, but they also have ended up expanding into America after that. So, for example, they tried to start a, a an 
an ill-fated uh, Spring Valley Casino in Vegas. So Triple Five was trying to build this. Um, and uh, they also uh, again they also built a mall in um, Minnesota too. That is yeah, the Mall of America. Mall of America, yeah, absolutely. The Mall yeah, of America. That, that mall there. was like uh, like three miles from my apartment. I was gonna yeah, uh, I was gonna ask you yeah. about that, Seamus. Have you visited the Mall of America? I, I visited it once, and I'm never going to visit it ever again. Mm. Yeah, it's because you complete... saw all there was to see. You 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 couldn't bear it again. It would be too beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just. I, and it, like I when I, I I used to take my summers uh, in Minnesota because my family used to live there. And when I was at summer camp, there was a group of uh, European. Um, I have no idea how this works. Like exchange summer camp campers, um, and they would go to the Mall of America on the weekends because it was just kind of like a novelty. Um, there was there's no reason for the Mall of America to exist. Uh, it, it, it's a complete um aberration of anything that is decent <laughs> um it's not even particularly i i uh, it, it's just there so that you can say that you've been to the mall of america right. mm. there's nothing fun about it in particular yeah, not unlike the world's biggest pierogi like you don't go to the world's biggest pierogi to say uh what you know you, you just go there to see it I was there. A, a civilization, exactly. a civilization not in decline, doesn't build the the, the biggest malls. Like this is that when I sort of the more I read about um uh, sort of the Mall of America, the West Edmonton Mall, whatever, the more I'm like, oh yeah, we've been like you know Romans with lead in their drinking water for like thirty years now as a society. Um, is this is it is just, it is this sort of um. It, it is something that could only exist in an imperial metropole, right? It is our version of, you know, um, the uh, Brighton Pavilion, the sort of pleasure dome that uh, uh, King George built to smoke opium in, basically. Yeah. Right? It, it, is, it is the sign of interminably ill culture. Uh, I, to, uh, and and it, is this, it is a uniquely Canadian sign of a terminally ill culture to build the biggest thing of the next culture over. Yeah. Right, yeah. like I'm, I'm reading um, Decline and Fall of the British Empire right now, and I just got to the part where they build this enormous pavilion to um, Britain's empire, basically to the colonies, mm-hmm. and uh, and the book goes over some some like early press on it, and it's all extremely negative. Uh, no one likes it. It's like it's it's yeah, it's an aberration. And wouldn't you know it, uh, less than 50 years later, that empire is gone, baby. <laughs> and I think it, it's, no, it's no coincidence that, like, our, our one, you know, our version of that is built in, is built in, like, you know, as, as much as you might want to not acknowledge, as much as people in, like, I don't know, Montreal or Toronto don't want to acknowledge it, like... That's why Canada matters is we have our resource extraction and the temple to our empire is built where the resource extraction is happening. You know, our empire, as much as we'd like to think it is, is not Toronto Financial Services, it's not Montreal artists. It is timber and oil and mining. And that's where we have built the temple to ourselves is out where that's happening. You know, um, you can, it, it, and, and there is a lot of people who like to say, oh, that's that's just, you know, dumb shit i'm 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 too pmc for the big stupid mall um i don't like alberta culture they're all uncouth out there and it's like it's your country man yeah you know that's 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 what the, that's what canada is 
And uh, the fact that you, Toronto person, don't want to acknowledge it is because you are embarrassed about what Canada is and you're not willing to confront it. I'm all still doing numbers, too. I mean, right right up until the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So a a little more, in fact, on the sort of economic history of Triple Five. Um, uh, The the Grimazians were embroiled in another scandal while trying to start this uh, Spring Valley Casino. Uh, where um, basically the former Clark—I mean, former Clark County commissioners—are constantly getting involved in <laughs> shenanigans. Like no one gets involved in shenanigans like Clark County commissioners. It's the main thing they do. Um, uh, what uh, FBI transcripts show: former Clark County Commissioner Lance Malone—what a name for a Clark County commissioner—discussing uh, quote bribes that Eskender Gramazian of Triple Five Corporation paid or intended to pay. Um, uh, on behalf of a strip club owner to different politicians. So, like, <laughs> number one, fucking uh, cool. Number two, uh, it, it, with with big real estate developers, like, you never, you always have to incentivize politicians to work with you. And, you know, you see that with the fucking SNC-Lavalin on a bigger scale. Um, anyway, uh, their mortgage was actually refinanced in 2003 to the tune of $335 million against a $660 million asset value of the mall. Uh, secured against that at that value um it matured in 2008 and wouldn't you know it as of 2008 then they start issuing the largest mortgage bond in canadian history for a single mortgage at 900 million dollars um they sort of chug along chug along chug along um and then uh they bet big on taking over the ailing american dream mall which was again i think quite appropriately called xanadu like yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh isn't that a, a is it is it i i'm i'm completely ignorant of this isn't that the warrior princess show was this named after that no xana well, that was xena uh xanadu a few ah, different things okay. uh it was um there was a poem called xanadu it's uh in xanadu did kubla khan a stately pleasure dome decree and it was again it was a poem about imperial excess yes <laughs> it's also it's also a banger track by rush too yeah. <laughs> uh, so look on him with holy dread, for he on honeydew hath fed and drunk the milk of paradise. Um, a great line from the movie Tombstone. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so uh, uh, effectively, um, they take over this ailing mall project that's supposed to be another one of these biggest malls that is either by someone who is a keen critic of American Empire or someone without any sense of irony has named Xanadu. <laughs> Um, which is again also uh, uh, Charles Foster Kane's sort of white elephant castle that he lives in is also called Xanadu. Like you, you don't call something Xanadu if you want it to work. It's the lesson of history. Unless it's a disco movie starring Olivia Newton-John, then uh... <laughs> indeed. How do you how do you all know these Xanadu related things? <laughs> yeah. oh, how yeah. do you remember this Olivia Newton John movie? From- oh, Seamus, Seamus, Seamus! It's in Canadian grade ten. You got to learn Xanadu stuff. We take Canadian history. Oh, you got to take French. But if you drop French, you have to take Xanadu. You learn all of the different uses <laughs> yeah. of Xanadu throughout history. But they, you know, what they do is they take uh, they take out all the part about the Second World War where the Soviets beat the fascists. We we had to remove all of that to put in the Olivia Newton John, uh, the Rush stuff. You know, mall facts. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so um, they again, and 
I, I, I don't know if, again, the Gramazians have a keen sense of irony or are just, um, you might say, uh, part of the spectacle. They rename Xanadu the American Dream. Hell yes. The American Dream is to be bigger, bigger than the West Edmonton Mall, to have more big shops, uh, more places wait, wait, where you on, can... hold on, hold on. Hold on, where is the American Dream Mall located? Uh, White Plains, Jersey. No, Meadowlands, New Jersey. Meadowlands. Okay, thank God. For a second, uh, for some reason, I thought it was still in Canada, and they were calling it the American oh, Dream. Oh, that would be Never mind. that would be amazing. Ignore this. Yeah. Um. Again, it's uh named after the um uh, uh Sopranos episode where Jackie April dies. Uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Uh, the american dream and it's there are too many interconnecting things here that are just like you know about the sort of um the promise of sort of you might say uh the uh, of the american empire to its own subjects just sort of slowly being revealed as a lie that it's in meadowlands it's uh, uh was called xanadu now it's called the american dream anyway um so they take it over they uh, again in order to, uh, this is almost, this feel, I feel like an ad busters guy about to say this, but in order to finance the American dream, the Garmazians needed a $390 million tax concession from New Jersey. <laughs> it's not just, I feel like a fucking douchebag for saying such an ad busters thing, but it's just what happened. Yeah. There's no self-awareness happening. Yeah. It's, this is, this is stupid. Um, so, uh, anyway, because they knew, and this is from 2019, right? They were opening it in stages like they did with the West Edmonton mall is, um, they were so confident that the American dream would work out that they pledged everything. They pledged, well, not, well they, they pledged like as much as they could, which was 49% of a controlling stake in the other two mega malls they own. So that's the West Edmonton mall and the mall of America. Um, to secure a 1.67 billion construction loan from J.P. Morgan and Goldman, um, and I mean, just the idea. I mean, this is basically just death of a salesman at this point. Uh, we staked it all to get the American dream. Uh, anyway, uh, they fucked up badly because the mall was was destroyed by COVID. So, uh, COVID hit, they defaulted on a number of loans. They weren't able to make any of their payments because no one was paying rent. Because the way the malls work really is, uh, they, you get rent from the stores that are in there. Um, and, uh, in the case of these mega malls, payment for people going on the stupid attractions and I guess life insurance for when they die on the mall attractions. (laughs) Um, so what happens, right, is that... Obviously, this fails immediately. They can't pay any of their debts. And um, now Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan were uh, entitled to take on um, uh, 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 these non-controlling sort of minority, but barely minority stakes in the other two malls. Um, And again, like, it's not as though the West Edmonton Mall, again, for reasons I don't fully understand, was failing. Um, Like, they... And the thing is, there's very little information about it because it's a private company, was right? It, it's not. Was it just that they insisted traded. on constant expansion? Is that what's happening here? Like, well, I mean, if you look at this, right? Like, the properties are never really not in an enormous amount of debt, right? But if you're a mega real estate investor, like that's kind of fine, yeah. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Just because of the way because of the way that sort of that, that the economy of real estate works is that you have to always be building. If you're always building, then what you're doing is you're you're taking on a, a certain amount of principal and then you have to service that principal every month. And so what you do is then you just set all the rents in your and wherever you are to sort of cover the principal plus X and X is your profit. So you're kind of always taking out debt because you kind of are because your model is one not of one big sale, but of like constant rent payments. So if you're not pay, if you haven't borrowed against your big mall, it doesn't, your business model doesn't really make sense. Sounds like being a musician, you are constantly borrowing against your most popular album. (laughs) Um, And right. Like they have, so they have this complex business empire of shopping centers and like, dozens of offshore companies like companies a lot of companies in hong kong uh, and they're now at the center like that's the, it seems like when the mall of a, when the, the american dream collapsed <laughs> quite literally for them <laughs> um a, a whole bunch of other problems seem to follow suit so they uh they've exp- all of their operations in china they've expanded through right um like they're those are now being investigated as Canadian subsidiaries because if you're running a foreign business from Canada, you have to pay tax in Canada on its like if you're directing the day to day operations of that business from Canada, like it's a Canadian company abroad, you have to owe Canadian taxes on it, blah blah blah. And so they're saying, no, 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 these are Chinese companies, and Canada Revenue Agency is like, well, prove it. And so that was again, I I don't know the update of that, but like that battle has at least begun and is presumably ongoing. Um, and so like, it's just again and again and again and again, it seems like they're just sort of flying very close to what's allowed, um, in terms of, you know, what you can do, let's say, uh, but this is, it is, it is one of these things, right? Where, you know, it's, if the economy, if, if our overall economy was less stupid, right? If we were more, if there was more of a focus on, I don't know, a, a people's needs uh, for example you know it, it would be much less likely to have um a dumb bullshit based economy uh but unfortunately we have a dumb bullshit based economy and so uh mega malls are kind of doesn't matter even that malls are dying these still seem to just be a, an irreplaceable feature of um of, of our landscape and uh, there are always going to be uh, assholes with money who are willing to, uh, you know, be like, "What if we put a roller coaster by, uh, you know, a, um, a a a fucking Claire's?" Yeah. What if we put a roller coaster uh, above a crocodile pond by a Claire's? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What if we did a Bond villain thing, but we sort of made it safe? I guess. Um, but yeah, one of the things that you've said, Dan, that I'm interested in is like. This is kind of this is a, a almost a mega project that doesn't seem to fit with because like the the mega projects aren't really happening in sort of Canada and the states anymore. No, they've kind of they've kind of moved. And and when I was doing research on this episode, I was thinking, Seamus, of your recent appearance on Well, There's Your Problem. Uh, I highly recommend a bonafide classic, incredible yeah. episode. I recommend listening to all four hours. Do not get up or go to the bathroom. Just listen to the whole thing in one shot. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the parallels between the Gramazian building projects, the hubris behind them. And then those projects you were kind of detailing for 
uh, places like you know the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and and the UAE. I, I feel like I feel like there's an analog there, or like this is a, this is a kind of proto version of of some of those building projects. What do you What do you? I, I could easily see that. Um, there, like one of the things about the Emirati economy. Uh, that they don't exactly like admitting for obvious reasons is that it lays on an incredibly tenuous position that is very prone to uh, just eventual collapse if certain industries do not hold up. Um, back when the when COVID first hit, um, there was a report in Bloomberg that postulated that uh, I think over half of businesses in Dubai were expected to close down permanently if there was not something to be done. And this was a report that came out in like April. Um, it was very quick. Uh, so if things, if conditions in the UAE are to change significantly, well, with climate change or with uh, Abu Dhabi um, potentially running low on oil or any of these different things, uh, there would need to be at least an attempt to diversify. Um, but with the lack of natural resources that exist in the UAE, um, it's a, you know, it's obviously a difficult thing to talk about. And America was in a kind of position like this in decades past, but after the great recession, uh, obviously these things don't happen much anymore. Um, the UAE is an interesting position where it continues to make money. And it was one of the few economies that saw some sort of growth during that period. Um, but that kind of exponential economic growth is not sustainable in any way um, over uh, uh, decades, yeah. um, especially in the position that the UAE is in. And, and, and I guess that that's, that's the thing, right? It's like in the UAE, you had this sort of, we almost go back to sort of one of the points you were talking about at the beginning, right? Which is that, investable capital needs things to be invested in right like that's why the crypto cryptocurrency must have nfts because it must invest itself in something mm -hmm. um and and in the case of sort of you know the, the golf mega projects like those sort of tend to happen i suppose because there is sort of there's one centralized decision making one centralized bit of will you might say behind an enormous amount of command over labor in the form of money. Um, it just, it seems, and I guess it seems sort of, and, 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 you know, preserving those mega projects is difficult. And a lot of them fuck up all the time because a lot of the ideas are very, very stupid because the, you know, will to power behind them is, you know, very silly. <laughs> um, but, and, and in this case, it almost feels like, yeah, you know, we've tried to do that in a more sort of neoliberalized economy. And it's, um, uh, uh, in the middle of failing, I guess you could say, because it doesn't have those same conditions. Exactly. I mean, the UAE is able to swallow costs like uh, the failure of like the Pentominium. Um, for those who have not listened to the episode yet, there was a project in Dubai to build a gigantic thousand foot plus tower of entirely penthouses. Yes, um, yes. Even though the idea of a penthouse is that there's something above you, um, but but nevertheless, um, it, it lays unfinished because the Great Recession, um, even though the UAE's economy did not contract as significantly as others, you know, there's not so much money laying around. But they were able to swallow these losses because, um, you know, 
the UAE, uh, this is not a benefit necessarily, but as you said, when the UAE has this kind of centralized decision-making process that does not have to answer to uh, a parliament uh, with any lawmaking capability or any other media forces, because virtually all media in the UAE is under the either under the direct control of the government or is friendly to the government. Um, you are able to maneuver uh, much better in this way. Uh, in Canada and America, um, there are so many different forces at play um, <laughs> that being able to swallow these costs is basically impossible. And that's not like when I say these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Emirati system is all better. It's, it's yeah. much worse. But when you're purely talking about money, construction projects, there's a reason why so many construction companies love dealing with uh, authoritarian countries because these kind of problems that exist and uh, bureaucracy, um, you know, it's not, it's not much, as much of an issue as it would be in America or in Canada. Yeah, dissolve. Um, I, Indeed. As an aside, I think I just solved the pentaminium problem. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, so basically what you want to do is you want to take the, uh, it's a thousand feet or a thousand meters? Uh, somewhere around, uh, a thousand okay. feet, I think. So yeah. you take that thousand foot tower and you flip it on its side and then you put um, like basically a bunch of really long poles. So then everyone's apartment is the same height. And and you have a oh. and then you have kind of a neon a mini neon like a line in the sky. Oh my god! Easy. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Always it's comes a, back to ne- the line. Neon is actually a good idea. I guess is the main moral of this story. <laughs> you finally came around. Yeah, we on didn't it. build yeah. big enough. The West Edmonton Mall was just the beginning. You know that was. It wasn't. It wasn't a line. Was the problem with the West Edmonton yeah. Mall? West Edmonton it was too wide. That's right. West Edmonton Mall walked where Neam will run. <laughs> I think that's probably as good a place as any to uh, to wrap this wrap this outing up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any Seamus? Any any final thoughts on uh, the West Edmonton Mall? No, except that I hate it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it seems, uh, I mean, malls, no matter where they are in the world, uh, they suck. Uh, they're horrible. They're meaningless. Uh, they're an affront to uh, to everything that God wants us to do as a people. Um, and uh, they shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But in the meantime, uh, tune in to the first Bottleman live show at Jubilations in the West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> Where we will be performing uh, the three-act play, The Ballad of David Frum. It's going to be amazing. We will both be playing David Frum. I will be uh, sitting on Riley's shoulders, and we will be wearing an enormous fat suit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Seamus, thank you very much for coming for coming on today and hanging out with us. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, Seamus, before we go, do you... Uh, have anything you want people to know about where they can find you, see you talking about movies, uh, your letterboxed? Uh, yeah, I, I have certain plugs. Uh, I have a Substack in which I talk about international affairs, uh, like with Palestine or with the UAE or with Iran. Um, and I also have a different Substack if you don't care about any of that and you just care about uh, obscure films. Uh, I just did a discussion with Dan here hey. about The Ugly Swans. Great film. Which is a. Russian film. It's a yeah, it's a great film. It's a Russian film about a uh, school that has been taken over by mutants and uh, a race against time to stop the military from uh, destroying it and potentially the lives of uh, tens of children. Um, 
but I also plan to do essays and uh, other discussions such as that. Um, I'm not going to spell out the names of them because my name is far too long. So they're going to be uh, in in the link. Yes, absolutely. In the, uh, the description. Uh, so look out in the description for the link to Seamus's various things. Uh, and in the meantime, we will see you on the bonus episode in a couple of days. That's right. Later. Later. Later.